0: Alright, well let's get in the Word this morning. Hallelujah. Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Psalm 105. Psalms 105. Verse 16. And I'm going to be reading a little different version here just because it's a little more expansive. There's some Hebrew words there that are kind of interesting when you interpret them, and the, the Amplified version gives a little bit better of a um, understanding of some of these Hebrew words. So it says, "Moreover, he (parentheses God) called for a famine upon the land of Egypt. He cut off every source of bread. He sent a man before them." Now, think about this. God sent a man before them, before the famine ever started, God had sent him. It says, even Joseph, he was sold as a servant, his feet they hurt with fetters, he was laid in chains of iron, and listen to this, and his soul entered into the iron, until his word came true, until the word of the Lord tried and tested him. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would touch this word, Lord. Uh, Lord, that you would let it go forth and do exactly what you want it to do, Lord God, that you would, uh, uh, Lord, speak to hearts and, um, and Lord, just minister to each person, Lord. And, uh, Lord, we pray all these things in your name, Lord Jesus, and everybody said, amen. Hallelujah. Um, title of my message is God's Iron Man. How many have ever watched the movie Iron Man? And contrary to popular belief, it's not about Curtis. It's about a billionaire with an iron suit, right? But uh, Listen to this. Iron Man gets his superpowers from his metallic suit of armor and other technologies invented by his alter ego, Tony Stark. Tony is a genius engineer and a wealthy owner of a technology company. Tony built the Iron Man suit when he was kidnapped and suffered an injury to his heart. The arc reactor was a fusion type of power source featuring a palladium core and the initial power source of the first Iron Man suit. It was later modified to be advanced level by Tony Stark to power his more advanced suits and keep on improving the suits. Wow, that's interesting, isn't it? That's uh, that's Hollywood's version of an Iron Man but in Psalm 105 is God's version of His Iron Man. And it says that uh, in the Hebrew there, it's very interesting, and that's why the Amplified Version interprets it, His soul entered into the iron. And uh, because what's really interesting is is it, it uses the word nefesh, which is the, the Hebrew word for soul. And so it says when it put him in iron, which is the word barzel, Which is literally means the word iron, but it also means harshness or oppression. So Joseph literally the oppression entered into his soul, and it was like iron in his soul. And then God goes even further and says that he sent Joseph until his word came true, until the word and until the word of the Lord tried and tested him. So something was happening in Joseph to make iron go into his soul. Literally, the oppression went into his soul and changed the person that Joseph was. And as you look at Joseph, he's one of my favorite people in the Bible, um, and, and I'm calling him God's iron man, but but you've got to realize, in the Bible, um, in the book of Genesis, you know, they spend 11 chapters talking about the beginning of the world, the beginning from creation and the early world. And they only spend a few chapters on creation of the universe, which is amazing. You know, the amazing thing happens with the creation of the universe. And only a few chapters are devoted to that, and God is very accurate scientifically on how He writes the creation of the world. It's not a weird myth like most of the myths of the world. He's very accurate, but He doesn't give a lot of time to that. And then He... Um, spends time talking about Cain and Abel, the beginning of civilization. He begins talking about the first sin. But he mentions Joseph starting in chapter 37 and spends all the way, almost all of that time to the end of chapter 50, talking about this one person. Isn't that amazing that God spends 13 chapters talking about Joseph? That's more time than he even spends on Abraham. And so when we look at Joseph, we've got to understand that God has big plans that he's going to do through Joseph, and God is taking time to make sure we understand what happened through Joseph, because Joseph was such an integral part of God's plan. Um, But what made him an iron man? And When I think of an Ironman, and the thing that comes to mind when I think about that, how many have ever heard of a baseball player named Lou Gehrig. And Lou Gehrig was a legend. In fact, I can say when I was a kid, he probably was my favorite player. He didn't play at the time when I was a kid, but it's why I became a Yankee fan, because I played first base and I loved Lou Gehrig. And Babe Ruth played at the same time as Lou Gehrig, so I never got to watch either of them play. But Lou Gehrig was called the Iron Horse. And Iron Horse, of course, is the name that Indians use for trains. Okay, and they nicknamed him the Iron Horse. Well, why was he the Iron Horse? Why was he the man of iron? Why was he considered that nickname? Because when you look at his stats, his stats are pretty amazing. And I'm not going to go through all of them, but he, uh, in one season, had over 180 RBIs. Uh, almost every season, how many batting titles? Let's see. 13 consecutive seasons, he had 100 RBIs and 100 runs scored. He had 200 hits and 100 walks in the same season seven times. He had two MVPs, won the triple crown, 12 consecutive seasons hitting 300, 10 seasons, at least 30 homers, he averaged 153 RBIs over an 11-year stretch, and he had a 632 lifetime slugging average. That's pretty impressive, isn't it, if you're a baseball fan? Some of the most impressive stats a person's ever had but nobody remembers his stats. And the reason why they don't is because he played uh, 14 consecutive seasons and never missed a game. And so he has the streak, he had until Cal Ripken, the streak for decades of playing the most consecutive games and never missing. In fact, he they think he may have even came in his first season and saying to himself, I'll never miss a game. So... They don't remember Lou Gehrig's stats. He's called the Iron Horse because he was so faithful. He never missed. He showed up every day, and no matter what was wrong with him, no matter whether it was a broken bone. In fact, you look through his career, the times he almost missed. Two different times he got hit in the in the face with a with a baseball, you know, throwing eighty mile an hour baseball in his face, and so he had broken fractures in his face and his hands and. He just was very faithful to show up. And I don't know if any of you have ever watched the movie Pride of the Yankees. And up until age 35, he had to retire young, and he got what now is called Lou Gehrig's disease, ALS. And um, at 35, he was forced to retire, and that's the first game he missed because of that disease. And so you see in the Pride of the Yankees is him giving his speech, the famous speech where he says, uh, I'm the luckiest man that ever lived, speech, and it's pretty amazing. But he was called the Iron Horse not because of his stats, but because of his faithfulness. And so I think we see the same thing with Joseph here. Uh, Joseph is known for a 13-year period in his life where he was totally faithful. And I want to challenge you today with the faithfulness of Joseph because Joseph was transformed... Um, from one thing to another thing to fulfill the dreams that God had for his life. And so Joseph, let's look at Joseph when he was age seventeen. And Joseph at age seventeen let set my notes. But at age seventeen, he is uh going to shepherd sheep with his brothers. And I don't know if you notice this in the story, but Joseph. In Genesis chapter 37, it makes a statement there that Joseph brought a bad report back about his brothers. Now, they're all older brothers, more mature brothers, and pretty rough bunch of brothers. I mean, if you look at the things that they're said to have done in their lifetime, they're a very rough group of, of uh, brothers that he has, right? And they're the older 10, he's the 11th, and then there's another son, the 12th, which is Benjamin. And so he goes and checks on him, comes back with a bad report. So what would you call Joseph, the 17-year-old that comes back with a bad report? Kind of a tattletale, right? And so you begin to see, and some in some ways there's a positive to that. He's very faithful to his dad, make sure he gives a report. But he's not winning any points with his brothers at this point. Then on top of that, the Bible makes a very clear mention that his dad really favored him. That's not going to go over well either. Uh, and so he's favored because the Bible says that uh, he was this, he, his dad had him in old age, and because of that he tended to favor him as a child. In fact, not only did he favor him, the Bible says that he made an, a very unique garment for him that was multicolored and just really stood out. And, and how many know sometimes something like that can really burn you up? You know, when you think dad prefers, you think dad prefers this son over the other ones, he's tattled on him. He comes to him and not only that, but he doesn't have a lot of awareness about what's going on around him. Because as he goes and sees his brothers, he shares a dream with them. And this obviously was a God-given dream because the Amplified Version actually says, Um, until the word, in parentheses says, to his cruel brothers came true, until the word of the Lord tried and tested him. So God had given him a vision, a dream. He was a dreamer. In fact, later the brothers would say, here comes the dreamer. And so how many know God had a dream and a plan and a vision for Joseph's life, and he was calling Joseph to something greater. But Joseph, I don't know if it was a mistake or not, he went to his brothers and said, hey, I had a dream he goes, I'm going to go and tell you what my dream is. And the dream was that they were uh, gathering up grain and sheaves, and one of the sheaves stood up, which was him, and the other ones bowed down to him, the other 11. And boy, that's not... <laughs> Can you see where this could cause problems? And the brother said, well, wait a minute. Are you saying you're going to rule over us and we're going to bow down to you? And uh, Joseph was probably like, I'm not saying, I'm just saying... And he walked off with his little multicolored jacket. Can you see it? And then he comes to him again. And uh, this time he includes his dad and tells his dad about the vision. And he says, hey, I see the sun and the moon, which is his mom and dad, and 11 stars, and they're all bowing down to me. Can you imagine if your little brother had came and said that? And It says even his dad was wondering about these dreams. But he took it into himself and thought about it, the Bible says. So here's a boy that has dreams are from the Lord. But I want you to think about what kind of a person he is right now. He is not the kind of person at this point in his life that can fulfill the dreams. And so God has to put iron in his soul. In fact, that word means, uh, when it says iron, it literally means um, to take a person. In fact, he says that he had to be tried and he had to be tested. These are all terms for metal. And with metal, you try to test them to see where the weakness is in it. You try to get the weaknesses out of it, the impurities out of it, so it will be much stronger. And so God is showing us how he's going to prepare Joseph to fulfill the dreams in his life. Uh, how many have ever been dreamers? How many have ever been in the presence of the Lord and He said, hey, i got a dream for your life. And I've got visions for your life. And I want to do things in your life. And that's what this represents. It means that spiritually God has a plan and a purpose for our lives and for our church. And right now, in this part of their life, their dreams are almost gone. And a lot of people don't notice this. But Abraham got the promise that his offspring will be more numerous than the stars or the sands, and there's so many prophecies and so many key locations. And Abraham was faithful to God. And then there were prophetic visions in Isaac's life about the same dream and the same, you know, promises from God, and God was going to do great things through this family. Okay. Jacob had those same dreams and there were flashes prophetically in Jacob's life. But at this point, Jacob's kids are very wicked. You know, those ten brothers had done a lot of really bad things. And as you read through Genesis, you begin to see the promises of God are dying with this family. They're dying. They're in the land. And then here's what's even worse. Um, A plague comes. And the plague is over the entire world, Genesis says. And this family is about to die. I mean, you say, well, man, I don't know. But in the middle of a desert, no food. Finally, the dad says, hey, quit looking around at each other. Go to Egypt because it's the only place that has bread. you imagine the only place that has bread is Egypt and everybody around the world is going to Egypt? In fact, if you look at the historical records, We see that a large group from all around the world, especially Palestine, came to Egypt and settled there. So many that they almost, they they literally took over the nation of Egypt. It's called the Hyksos uh, dynasty, and the Hyksos dynasty is the foreign people that came in and immigrated so much, they took over the entire nation of Egypt. Okay, so this is serious, but how many know the promises of God are about to die in the promised land? Their family is only 70 in number, and the promises are all dying. In fact, you know, when they came back to the promised land uh, hundreds of years later, we think that the twelve tribes of Israel, meaning the twelve sons of Israel, were in the promised land. But how many know the sons of Jacob, the twelve sons of Israel, the twelve tribes of Israel, they were leaving the promised land. They didn't grow up in the promised land they raised their families from that point forward in Egypt. You don't think about that sometimes, do you? Reuben, Gad, Dan, all of these brothers were leaving the promised land for the rest of their lives and were relocated in Egypt. So the twelve tribes of Israel, the dream that God is going to give us Canaan land was dead. You see what happens where God puts you in a position where it looks like the dream's dying, and then God finds Himself a dreamer. Finds Himself a dreamer. In fact, they said, here comes the dreamer. Let's kill him. And so now God is going to try and test Joseph because the blessing now is going to come through this obedient person. And so God says, okay, I'm going to send Joseph to Egypt in advance because the promise... It's going to go through him because he's obedient. And what does that tell us? The promises of God go through those who are obedient to the promises of God. And so I want you to see how God made his Iron Man. They don't do it like the world. The world, it's geniuses. The world, it's billionaires. The world, it's uh, intelligence. The world, is it's me, me, me. But the way God makes an Iron Man is totally different. And I want you to see how God made Joseph this man of God that was able to be over all of Egypt. I want you to imagine, first of all, the rejection and the shame and the loneliness that Joseph endured first. He was 17 years old, it says at the beginning of Genesis 37. And here he comes to see his brothers. They plot to kill him. They throw him in a pit. Reuben tries to save him. And then uh, while he's in the pit, they see a caravan of traders, Ishmaelites, that are coming, they're from Midian, and they're going through that trade route to go to Egypt. And as they're heading to Egypt, they say, well, why should we kill him? when well, we can make money off of him. And so he sells them to these traders who are going to Egypt. And so imagine, if you would, with me, that you have these promises from God that you're a dreamer. And then you know that God has blessed Abraham, your great-grandfather. He's made all these promises through Abraham. He's made all these promises in your life. You've had dreams. You've had visions. You say, man, I know God's going to do this. I God's going to do that. And then now all of a sudden, nobody had more shattered dreams than Joseph. Nobody. He was sold by his brothers. Your ten brothers sell you. Your family rejects you. You're all alone and you're in a foreign land. So I want you to imagine you're in a land where you don't know the language, the culture, and now you're a slave. And so, Joseph, how would you feel if it happened to you? How easy would it be to say, man, you know what? God doesn't have any plan for me. God doesn't have any purpose for me. God doesn't have anything for my life. But see, he was a dreamer. And he had a dream and a vision from God and he never let go of it. So it's so amazing. This 13 years of his life, incredible. 11 years as a slave and 2 years in prison. And so he, he he goes to the new land and and the Bible says, in fact, one of the first things I want you to see is the Bible says that God was with him. In fact, in verse 2 it says, the Lord was with Joseph. Verse 3, it says, the master saw the Lord was with him. Verse 23 says, the Lord was with him. Every location that Joseph goes, the Lord was with him. And so here he goes into a home, Potiphar's house. Potiphar is the captain of the army in, in, in Egypt. And so he goes into this home as a slave, and the blessing of God is on his life. And rather than being bitter and angry, how many know it's easy for us to forget about his plan for our life and say the plan is over, my dreams are shattered? But Joseph didn't do that. It says that everything in Potiphar's house was blessed because Joseph was doing it. Now, how many possessions did Joseph had? Was he, did he have a lot? Of, no, he was a slave. He didn't have a whole lot personally. But you could see God's blessing because everything that he touched, there was a blessing of God on it. So this tells me that there are times in life that everything you touch is going to be blessed, but you yourself sometimes aren't blessed because God is wanting to prosper you in a greater way. God wants to see great things happen in your life. God wants to see visions fulfilled in your life, and you can't let go of the dreams that God has for your life. So he goes in Potiphar's house, He's faithful to God. Everything he touches is blessed. And then it says that he's handsome and well-built. That sounds like a good thing, but this is a curse for Joseph because the woman of the house is crazy about him, literally crazy. She wants to find Joseph alone. She's constantly telling him, go to bed with me. And the Bible says that this man has incredible integrity. It says that he won't even be in the house alone with her. He never gets around a moment where he's around her alone. And it says she's constantly trying to find him alone, but he never will be alone with her because he knows how she is. And he says that God's given me charge over his whole household. And, And and he basically said, except you. I'm not getting around you. And so anyway, she finds him in the house he takes off running. She rips off an article of clothing, goes to her master and says, he tried to physically, sexually assault me. Now, I want you to imagine how Joseph's life has been at this point. Okay, he's been faithful to God, maybe a little naive. His brothers rejected him. They abandoned him. They said negative things about him. In fact, the Bible says they wouldn't say a kind word to him because they hated him that bad. Then he goes to slavery. he's still... Is trusting God, still being faithful, still having integrity. And then he's accused of rape, falsely, put in prison. Potiphar is angry, puts him in prison. You say, well, my goodness, how is this guy staying so faithful? God is turning him into a man that he can bless. He's trusting God through the most difficult circumstances. And so now he's in prison. Now I want you to think, how would we react now at this point? I mean, I could easily see maybe one of us saying, hey, you know what, you have that prison mindset, <laughs> you know. You're like, man, I've done some hard things. And this was a dungeon. He actually calls it a dungeon. And you can get a hardened, bitter, angry mindset in prison. But guess what happens? It says the Lord was with him in verse 23 of 37. And he says that God was with him, and guess what happens? They end up giving Joseph charge over the whole prison. (laughs) I mean, God is with him, he has integrity, he's still trusting God, and God blesses him in prison. And now get this, because Potiphar was the captain of the Lord's army, I think Joseph was in a special prison. I think he was in the prison that Pharaoh put a lot of his military, a lot of the people from his administration. The reason why I say that is, chapter 39, verse 1, if you start reading there, it says that um, two men were taken out of the court of Pharaoh. One was a cupbearer and one was a baker. And evidently there must have been somebody plotting to take the Pharaoh's life because the cupbearer tasted the, the drink that would go to the Pharaoh before he drank it and the baker would prepare his food. So somebody they were afraid was trying to, you know, assassinate maybe the Pharaoh. That's just speculation. But they were in a special prison, which was the same prison Joseph was in. And guess who they gave charge of to take care of those two prisoners? The other prisoner, Joseph, because he was so well favored. So Joseph, number one, had he not gone to Egypt, he wouldn't have been in Pharaoh's prison But then, had he not been in Pharaoh's prison, he would not have met Pharaoh's staff. So then those two men are troubled because they're having dreams. And who's the dreamer? Who's the guy that knows all about dreams? So they come and they say, well, we've got two dreams that are troubling us. So the cupbearer says, here's my dream. The baker says, here's my dream. And Joseph said, God is the interpreter of dreams. I'll tell you what those dreams are. And so he told the cupbearer, you will go back to your original position. Remember me when you get restored. He told the baker, they're going to impale you and you're going to die. And so the one, just as Daniel said, he interpreted the dreams properly. The one died, the one didn't. And guess what happened? He remembered Joseph and he was restored. Joseph lived happily ever after, right? No. The cupbearer forgot all about him. He said, remember me, and he never remembered him. And so it went on, and so Daniel... Or Daniel, I always mix these two up. Joseph languished in prison. And so, just think of everything he's endured so far. This is 11 years of his life. Rejected by his family, all alone, faithful in this house, accused of rape, put in prison, interprets dreams, gets elevated in the prison. Now, the guy forgets all about him and leaves him in prison. But... <laughs> Pharaoh has a dream. The leader of the entire superpower of the world in that day has a dream. And nobody can interpret this dream except there's a dreamer that's in the prison, right? And so the cupbearer says, hey, this is a very glaring weakness I have. I forgot about this guy. And he admits that he forgot about him. He said there is a Hebrew in the prison And he interprets dreams. Pharaoh calls him out and he says, Hey, here's your dream, Pharaoh. There's going to be seven years that are going to be of an incredible harvest. Harvest like we've never seen before. And then there's going to be seven years of famine like the world has never seen before. And God basically wants us to store all of the grain during the seven years so we'll have plenty during the famine. And so Pharaoh is so impressed with Joseph, guess what he does? He makes him head over all of Egypt. Gives him his own chariot. Now I want you to imagine 13 years of trusting God because God had to put iron in his soul. Joseph would not have been able to do that at 17. But imagine the lowly things that he went through. And so I jotted down eight things that I took from the story real quick. Number one, the Lord was with him. I said that. Everywhere that he went, the Lord was with him. And, and, and interesting enough, um, in 1750 in, his, in history, um, there's a dynasty called the Hyksos dynasty, and you can look them up. But the Hyksos dynasty is the foreign people and became the word Hyksos. But all the Palestinians went to Israel. And history shows that it was a very unusual time that there was a group of people that came from Palestine and became the dynasty in Egypt. And then there became another king that said, hey, there's too many of them, and he expelled them from the nation. And so it's very fascinating that history shows that Joseph became the leader of Egypt and his family. How many of you know his family was settled in Goshen, like the best land in Egypt, and they got the best land? And, and you say, well, man, um, God was with Joseph every step of the way. And so one thing you need to remember is, we're going to go through really tough things in life. And how many know that if we trust God, in fact, the Bible says, you may have heard of this one before, though I walk, where did I put it in here? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. How many know that God is close to the broken hearted, And God wants to fulfill every dream and every purpose He has in your life. And and in your personal life, can I tell you something? And in this church, let me tell you something. God will take your dreams and He'll take them to the brink, disappearing. Because if you could fulfill those dreams yourself, you'd never give glory to God. But if God fills those dreams only through Him and prepares you for that purpose, then you see the glory of God in everything that He does. God will do that in your life. God will make you feel like, He said, well, hold on, i got a dream, it's going to happen, I'm going to float to it. No, God's going to prepare you properly and that dream's going to come to pass if you'll stay faithful to the Lord through every hard time. And here's the promise that when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to be afraid because I'll be with you. Joseph proved that. Every prison that he was in, every dungeon that he was in. In fact, he started off in a cistern, got sold, went to Egypt, foreign country, in a prison. You know, all these, in slavery, all these things, God's with him. God's ministering to him. God is strengthening him and God will do the same thing for you. Number two, Joseph decided to himself he was going to be faithful no matter what. And you say, well, he probably read Genesis 37, 38, 39, all the way through 50. He knew what was going to happen. (laughs) He didn't. He decided to himself, no matter what, I'm going to serve God and I'm not going to be unfaithful. I'm going to be an iron horse. I'm going to show up every day. I'm going to do my best for God, no matter what situation I'm in. And And he never stopped being faithful to God. It reminds me a lot of Daniel. That's why I confuse the two of them. Daniel, it says, purposed in his heart that he would be faithful to God no matter what. And how many know Daniel at a very young age as a teenager also got sold into slavery. Uh, a, a foreign enemy came in and took him off into slavery. And so these are great examples of no matter what, and here's what we do. Here's exactly what we do. Our situations aren't nearly as extreme a lot of times as the Bible situations. And we say, well, man, I can't pay my bill that I have. You know, I'm going through depression. This person, you know, did this to me or did that to me, or I've got this circumstance. How many of you know we go through those sometimes and we just say, I'm done? I'm done with God. I'm done with being faithful. And it's very easy to stop being faithful. And these stories in the Bible are here because God wants us to be faithful and just say, no matter what, I'm going to serve God. And, you know, that means. Um, that means in church, you know, no matter what happens, we're going to be faithful. We're going to do the right thing. We're going to move forward, and we're going to trust God's plans and His promises to us, no matter what. Hallelujah, Amen. I'm preaching myself happy. Mm-hmm. Number three, integrity matters. Integrity matters. I'm I'm wondering what would happen if uh, Joseph weren't there who's the blessing going to go through? Who would the blessing go through if Joseph weren't who he was? Would it go through Reuben or would it go through you know, uh, Judah? I don't know. If you've read some of the stories about Judah and you've read some of the stories about Reuben, you read some of the stories about all the different brothers and some of the things that they did, it would be very difficult to see the blessing go through um, some of the other sons. But, Joseph was a dreamer, and Joseph... You know, you can't just be a dreamer. You have to hold on to that dream, and you have to have faithfulness. And Joseph held on to that, believed that no matter what happened, and God was able to let the blessing go through his life. And my question is, that's a great story, but who's the blessing going to flow through in this church? You know, we've got to be faithful. You know, not just one but we've got to be faithful to God's call and faithful to what God wants us to do and, and have integrity no matter what the situation is. No matter how bad it looks, how I many you know, no matter how dark, no matter how difficult, we've got to have integrity and uh, keep believing in His promises. Number four. And this is a big one. I think some people would look at my list here and say this is a small one. But forgive and love always. You know, at the moment that his brothers came to Egypt, it says his brothers came looking for food. And he knew who they were, but he didn't know. They didn't they didn't know who he was, but he knew who they were. And the Bible says every time he would talk to them, he would go to the other room and cry and just weep. And they could hear him all over the palace crying. And, um, you know, 20 years to today, the they threw him in a cistern. They appeared in front of him as the um, leader over all of Egypt and uh some of us, if we were in that same position, how would we act? How would the brothers have acted if they were in the same situation? They were upset over a little multicolored cult and a few dreams. He actually got thrown into a cistern and listening to them above talk about killing him. Okay, then he goes in slavery, gets accused of rape, ends up in prison, and 13 years of real horror, and then seven years later they come to visit him. What would you do to them? <laughs> He just kept blessing them. He blessed them. He gave them grain to go back. Gave them all their money back. Asked for their dad to come. Gave them the finest accommodations in Egypt. Gave them the best land. In fact, it's the land in the district of Ramesses. It's, the, like, it's like royal land that he gave them. That's why they multiplied so fast um, was the fact that he gave them such wonderful land in Goshen. How many of you would treat your brothers that way if they treated you like he did? And so if we want to be like Joseph, we've got to forgive and love our brothers, even if they throw you in a cistern and try to kill you. Okay, I guess that doesn't happen real often. But how many know spiritually sometimes it can feel that way? And you know how awesome our churches would be if we would just forgive and love? Hallelujah. How many think that's a major point of Joseph's attitude, the fact that he was not bitter. I talked about this last week, protecting your heart. Why do we forgive? It's not for them. We forgive for us because it protects our heart. And Joseph, even though he went through hard time, in fact, he names one of his sons Ephraim and he names the other one Manasseh. And Manasseh meant, um, God has, uh, taken away all my, all my pain. And then, uh, Ephraim means God has blessed me abundantly. And how many know that he had a heart that just was forgiving, loving? All right, number five. Let me get through these. God made the blessing go through Joseph. How many know by the time they got to Joseph's generation, there were only 70. The promise hadn't happened. It was on hold. But when they went to Egypt, they came out of Egypt with 2 million Because the land was so good. They were treated so well by Joseph. The promise was fulfilled through Joseph. The promise to Abraham. That's why the book of Genesis ends with Joseph. Because they went from 70 people to 2 million people that came out. God blessed that nation through what? Obedience and a dreamer. Somebody that God put iron in his bones to be what he called him to be. And the key was he never complained while God put him through the trial and the testing, Psalm said. Hallelujah. I'm rushing here. Uh, number six, uh, life will be difficult. You say, well, man, aren't some people it's easy and other people it's hard? No, life is going to be difficult. And just because you're in a hard spot and a difficult spot doesn't mean you're cursed by God. It doesn't mean God hates you. It doesn't mean God's against you. It may mean exactly the opposite because I can't think of a person during this period that had a worse life than Joseph had for 13 years. I can't think of anybody that had it worse. I I can't hardly think of anybody in our culture that's had a worse time. Who, I mean, this is a, if you wrote this story for Hollywood, nobody would believe it. You know, it's such a wild story what they did to him and how harsh and how mean. It says the oppression went into his soul. I mean, I don't know if we really recognize the anguish that this young man had from 17 to 30. But um, we're going to have tough times and we just got to be faithful through it. Number seven, um, Joseph never quit believing that God was great. You see, every time, that I mean, he's all alone, has nobody, no family, nothing. Do you notice how great in Joseph's mind God always is? He's like in prison. He's like, God is the one. You know, and, and everywhere that he went, they knew God was with him. How do you think they knew God was with him? Because he spoke it out of his mouth. You know, he's the one that's in the cell praying. He's the one that's trusting God. He's the one that always talks about God. And so they knew God was with him because that was his testimony. And so in the middle of everything, he still believed God was great. And guess what? God ended up being great in his life. And the last one, everybody say amen. He learned to serve. Well, that's a big one. He learned to serve, which God was calling him to greater things in the kingdom. Uh, in fact, uh, I can't imagine how wonderful it was to live in Egypt under Joseph. How many would love to have leadership like Joseph? Somebody that lived in a prison, somebody that lived as a slave. You imagine? I mean, it's an amazing story, isn't it? This guy was the lowest of the low in a dungeon, he was a slave in a man's household, and he becomes over everybody in Egypt. Is that an amazing story or what? Worship team, you can come up here. I'm going to close in a word of prayer, and I just want you to consider Joseph and consider what we're going through in our faith and our life. And um, this will be very fast. We don't have to play very long. I'll just close in a word of prayer. Let's worship for one song. Everybody stand your feet. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you, Lord. and uh Lord, we see your Iron Man, Lord God, Joseph. We see for 13 years, Lord, how he didn't look to the left or the right, uh, but he trusted you, Lord God. And Lord, we pray that this kind of faithfulness, Lord, would be found in us, that you'd do mighty things through us, Lord, and you'd bless this church and bless our lives, Lord, for the faithfulness. Uh, lord you'd make us like an iron horse, Lord God, that would just every day get up and sing your praises and your greatness and and Lord would be faithful to the promises that you've given us, Lord, In your name we pray amen, just just let's for one song here give God glory, hallelujah, if you need prayer for anything we're we're here for that purpose, hallelujah. Lord let's uh, close in a word of prayer Heavenly Father Lord I pray a blessing upon your people Lord Lord the blessing Lord that was on Jake, on jo- Joseph Lord Lord the faithfulness Lord to believe to believe in your promises for each and every life Lord to believe your promises for this church Lord God Leave your promises for this city, Lord. Lord, we're going to trust you, Lord, through everything, Lord. We're follow that example, Lord God, of Joseph and that example of you, Lord. To bless your people, Lord God, as they go. Put your hand upon them, Lord. My, my prayer is that you'll be with them, just as you were with Him, no matter what, through anything. Bless them, Lord. Bless them this day. Let them enjoy it, Lord God. Hallelujah. We ask these things in your name, Lord Jesus. Everybody say, Amen.